welcome to series two of the Learning and Development Challenges podcast. Adam here once again as your guide. In this series, we're looking at how to better engage frontline or deskless workers with learning. And today we have a fantastic guest. We're talking with Toby Newman, who is amongst other things, senior L&D consultant at CH Robinson. Toby is an accomplished learning and development professional with over 20 years of experience in designing and delivering high impact learning programs. He's passionate about promoting employee well-being and fostering a culture of continuous learning and is skilled at leveraging technology to help achieve this. Toby is also a TEDx speaker and also works to mentor other L&D professionals to help them develop their own learning cultures. Toby, it is a real pleasure to have you join us today. It is lovely to be here. It's always weird listening back to kind of the things you've done. I'm like, did I really do that? <laughs> and they're like, you're an expert. Like, really? Am I? <laughs> so, yeah. But no, it's been a pleasure to be here. There's your imposter syndrome creeping in already. So, uh, that... Oh, yeah. It's like they're sitting on there going. That's, a, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> <laughs> so this series is all about frontline deskless workers in particular. But one thing that I really wanted to pick your brains on is learning culture. It's an issue that significantly impacts learning across pretty much every organization that we've ever spoken to, engaged with. And it's almost the foundation from which so many people in our industry are, are doing battle with or riding the back of, depending on <laughs> how good the culture is in that yeah. business. So question one in, in terms of culture is you've been passionate about this topic for a long time. You've spoken on it quite a bit, but I'd really like to strip everything back and get down to the basics. So can you explain to us, I guess, almost in layman's terms, what a good learning culture can look like and what it can achieve? So like kind of what the bleep, bleep, bleep yeah, yeah, is yeah. this thing kind of thing. <laughs> Let's start with the what. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, I think the easiest way to answer it is there is no right answer. And I know that's maybe a cop out, but a learning culture is whatever the company deems it to be. It's not like one of these fads or one of these trends where it goes, oh yeah, everybody needs to do this. And then yeah, you try and copy it. You can't copy other people's cultures just the same as you can't copy other people's leadership styles or other person's vision and mission or whatever it is. So for me, in a sense, what a learning culture is, the change in mind shift away from a one and done, away from train, like the words like training or things like we're going to tell you what you need to know, or we're going to educate you. And the shift is, it's not necessarily like throwing it back to say, no, no, this is your responsibility. But the shift is to say, I want you to think about your own development and where you're going, almost like a personalization of learning. And to say, it's your responsibility to drive your own culture. We'll help you. We'll provide the guardrails. We'll give you the nudge. Will even help you to know, you know, the coaching and stuff to know where to go. But the actual, you know, the journey is they you know, say you can lead a horse to water, you can't force it to drink. It's that kind of mindset to say, rather than if you take that analogy, rather than grabbing the horse and then saying, you know, kind of injecting it with water to say, yeah. C compliance training, we call that, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. But rather than doing it that way, is to kind of step back a bit give them that space so rather if you think about you know guardrails rather than those kind of really thin ones you see at the bowling alleys that kind of my, my little one kind of rolls and bounces around it's like think of that but having it a massive space 
with uh, some guardrails on the side. So there's room for them to maneuver, but they know where they're going. They know what support they've got to do it. And they're, they're off and running. Now, so that's the kind of the basic essence of a learning culture is to shift away from it's our responsibility of learning companies, learning divisions, whatever it is, to tell people what to train and shift towards what we want to make. First of all, you the center of your journey. We want to empower you. So all our training is centered around not do this, do that, do that. But this is why it's important for you to get to where you're going. To give you an example, we're doing some PDP training at the moment, personal development plan training. I could sit there and say, fill that form out, fill this out, do that, do that, do that, that kind of thing. That would be easy. But what we're doing instead is educating, helping the managers to understand and empower them in their own development, because it starts with them first, and then helping them in supporting their team and helping them to help their employees think, well, what are their goals? Not to tell them what their goals are, but to guide them into creating that goals and creating that environment. That's one element of a culture. I had a conversation in a panel discussion about where does culture start? Is it employees? Is it leadership? I strongly believe that it starts with the individual. Yes, the leadership needs to be bought in. They need to understand that we need to create a learning culture. We need to create this kind of environment and they need to embody it themselves. But it can't just be thrown from them saying to down and down and down and down because it would just get diluted and, and gone. It needs to be individuals with teams doing the best that they can, creating the culture that means something to them. A culture in an L&D team is going to be different than a culture in, say, a an account management team or a sales team or whatever team that is in frontline services. A, a team in a warehouse, stark different to a team in a call center or wherever it is. So it's not about saying, this is your culture we want to create. It's saying, we want to empower you to develop yourself. We want to empower you to find your own why. I'm sure you're familiar with Simon Sinek and, and that kind of thing, is that we want to empower you to do that, but we want you to create your own culture and your own bond to be able to make that happen. Yeah, Brilliant. Brilliant. I've written down a few key words here as well, which I, I thought were great. <laughs> I know. I, I, you can probably tell I tend to kind of, I do my own little meandering around and stuff. I love that though. So, you know, freedom, but supported freedom in a way, self-empowerment, providing people with a toolkit. And I, I love the idea that it has to be grassroots as well in order to get the buy-in. Because I think a lot of people feel culture comes from the top, but actually you're saying it doesn't spin it around. It comes from the bottom up. Not a chance. They, they may talk about it. So like it might be that the... Like to, to give you an example, we've recently got a, a new CEO and they've started preaching. It's a harsh word, but talking about lean. Everything needs to be lean, you know, kind of customer centricity, reducing waste, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things I like the way he's doing it is he's saying, we want to do lean, but how you do it, that's up to you, as you and your teams. Like you create the culture around how you want to do it, but I'm 
kind of giving you the North Star kind of thing, the name to say, this is what the process we want to follow. I mean, it could have been lean, it could have been agile, it could have been waterfall, whatever it is kind of thing. But he put a name on it, but he didn't then say, right, every team needs to follow this. Like in my past companies, like they've said, right, we're going to go agile. And then they rolled out agile training for everybody. And I don't know if you have familiar with Agile, but it's like, it, it works for software managers. It works for some teams. You try and do Agile for a learning team? Yeah, no, not quite. <laughs> but the, the principles work, but not the, and that, so they try to force a culture onto teams. And then what happens? Doesn't quite work. No, no, thank you. We're right where we are. And your culture just disappears. Yeah, I was about to say, people just slip back to doing things how they know how to do them. And then it, it, you don't get that move forward, which people are looking for. At best, they slip back to where they're at. Worst, they go. They go backwards. They start regretting and like hating and leaving and all that stuff. It's not likely, but it can happen. Yeah, they're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, aren't they? They're trying to use an agile methodology, say, on a program or a piece of work on a waterfall yeah, process. It's just not yeah. going to work. Yeah, on a waterfall process. Yeah, exactly. yeah. That's really good, and I, I like that as well. It, that kind of sneaks a little bit into permission, which I think is critical from leaders in any organization it's giving people permission to make those decisions and empowerment almost yeah and then giving them permission to make mistakes i think it's an interesting word you use that permission because traditionally if i think about a learning culture specifically traditionally people have asked permission to learn because that's always been the tradition you know kind of like ever since it's been hammered into them you will get training when we tell you to do it and you have to ask permission to do it. And, you know, in this company, it's, you know, we're, we're trying, but that mindset, getting away from that mindset of you don't need to ask permission. There are ways and means to do it. You know, if it's no budget, you should have the ability to do it. Now, obviously, you need to work with your manager. It's not asking permission. It's saying, I have these development goals. This is where my career, I want to go. Does this match with you, Mr. Mrs. Manager? Does this work for our KPIs and where our company's going? Where do we negotiate to kind of do it? How do I negotiate my time with you? Do I get any budget? If not, there are other ways to do it. And then let me kind of get on with it. But a lot of companies, including our own, it's like saying, they're still saying, where's the calendar for training for next year? I'm like, when I say there isn't one, it makes me sound like I'm not doing any work. But it's, yeah, it's then it's actually harder to do a learning culture because it's not training anyway. You still do an element training, but it's promoting skills. I mean, that's, I talk about how us as L&D, we need to improve our own skills. And it's not just about, you know, changing the way we uh, talk about training or learning. It's about developing us. So I talk about as an L&D professional, future skills are obviously AI, generative, you know, tech, general, video production, knowing how to, to create your own kind of videos, podcasts, knowing what the difference between you know, a raw file and an AAC file and an MP3 file, those basic stuff. At least I feel they're basic. But also it's things like, do they know what a good communication is? Not can they write an email, but do they know what communication is, what promotion is, what advertising is? Because that's what you have to do in, in learning culture. You need to promote. You need to 
engage people to do it, not just say, here's a, something. It's just a signing in the past. It's like you have been told to do this training. That's no longer the case, apart from the usual kind of uh, compl- uh, compliance training and stuff. Yeah, of course, of course. I could talk about marketing and learning all day, by the way. It's one of my favorite topics. You mentioned an example there, actually, of your existing company and, and how they're, they're looking at things. But um, are there any other specific examples from your career where you know maybe companies have got this right where they've done a really good job or even you know clients people you know where you've seen from the outside and said okay yeah that something is working here yeah that's a difficult one i think because it's it's not saying at least in my own experience of the companies i've worked for i wouldn't ever say that in at any company they had a learning culture but there are elements of the learning culture or certain teams within that culture that are really great. And I could say, you know, mention there's a couple of teams I know within my current company and, and past companies where as that little bubble of that team, my God, that they got a great culture, both a psychologically safe environment, a culture where the manager, I've seen their one-to-ones or their, their personal development plans. And it's like a four-page document all about their hopes and dreams and what their strengths and weaknesses are and where they're going to go, how they're going to do it, how they're going to check in, what they're going to do. It's it's a lovely piece of work. So you get individual cultures. But for me, one of the, the pieces that is missing from a lot of these teams is, and I'm sure you've heard the term growth mindset. Yeah. That kind of, you know, how you develop. For me, the one thing that I've always noticed with a growth mindset is it's very insular. I have a growth mindset. I need to be self-developed. I need to be self-aware. All those kind of things, but it's very insular. For me, when it comes to a learning mindset, which then creates this learning culture, is that sharing ability. So the ability for me, so like I said, you've got these individual teams, brilliant, great. What are you doing to promote your what you're doing? to your colleagues, to that manager's colleagues? And the usual answer is, nah, not really. So, so that's not a cult. That's a team culture. That's not a company culture. What should be, should inverted commas, the ideal would be that it is intrinsic in their brain to think, not only I want to make sure that the, my environment is psychologically safe, is that they've got that freedom to do things, that guarded freedom, whatever you want to call it, but I'm going to shout from the rooftops that what I'm doing, I'm going to do posts, I'm going to do videos, I'm going to bug my manager to get me a place on his team leadership call to promote what we're doing. And then my, that manager is going to go, oh, that's great. I want to promote you to the rest of the company. Look what we're doing here. You can do the same thing. What did you learn from doing that? What were your challenges? How did you overcome those challenges? That is when you start creating a learning culture because you get individual learning mindsets, maybe team mindsets, but then the culture is when they actively start sharing. And you know, you've probably heard social learning, this kind of idea that you socialize what you're doing. And you know, if you build it, they will come, which people think, oh, I've got this great social learning platform, but nobody uses it. Like Yammer, we've got Yammer. People use it to post. Do I think it's a social learning? No, because it's just posting. There's no 
arguments. There's no discussion. There's no discourse. There's no like, oh, why did you do it that way? Oh, I did it this way because this. Oh, okay, that's good. Well, did you think about this? No, I didn't think. That conversation, that's what needs to happen in order to create that proper discourse, that social learning, then that can start to, to push. And again, that's not something a leadership can do. They can say, oh, you should share. It's not going to happen. You need, it needs to be something that they want to do themselves. And that's where we in L&D can help because we can do things like what you're doing, you know, kind of saying, hey, let's go on a podcast and share it. Let me interview you to go on this company pod. Let me help you get the thing out. But like I said, we can only lead them to water. We can't do it for them. Yeah. Yeah. No, that there's some really strong points there. So psychological safety was one of the words you mentioned a couple of times. And that's just big, big one for me. That hits home really hard because I think if you can create a safe space where people can fail, where people can talk openly and honestly about what they're doing, they're going to be more likely to want to share their victories, but also their challenges. And actually, yeah. like, like I always kind of say, that's where the real learning moments are, isn't it? Oh, how did you overcome yeah. that challenge or how did you solve that problem? And are there other people in the company that will be? That retrospect and yeah. And I think for me, the more I, I mean, I've been doing psychological safety now for a couple of years and I'm, I'm kind of ashamed that I didn't know it before, but it, it's kind of part of my point because for some reason, not enough learning people are talking about it. And, but for me, it's an absolutely fundamental founding block of anything that you want to learn, you want to develop. And to me, it's kind of, I think what's happened is that we've been so focused on the knowledge piece that they need to train this, they need to do this. And we forgot about them being almost like human beings and going, well, how do we help you learn? Well, the fundamental bit of that is you've got to be in a good environment to learn. The book I love is Tim Clark, I think his name is, is The Four Stages of Psychological Safety. Highly recommended. And he talks about kind of there's learner safety, there's challenger safety. So he breaks it down into what is psychological safety in these different elements. And it's a, a great book for anybody. Top recommendation. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think psychological safety, like however it's kind of labeled and it's been around for years you know there's certain i say it's been around for years you know like, like all these things have been around since years <laughs> if you had a if you had a good manager that protected you that let you talk openly and you could say hey so i don't agree with that could, yeah yeah where you could promote yeah i think it's great that there's a word for it, like a de definition for it now that we can kind of pin to but and i think the other challenge is that it like you you mentioned it it doesn't really fit anywhere it doesn't same with well-being i am a big big proponent of, of well-being but it's like you, you can get kind of you know psychological safety trainers yes you can get well-being practitioners and directors of well-being and stuff but i've very rarely see training or l d and psychological safety and well-being in kind of one thing and i think that's half the problem is that it doesn't really anywhere because it's not a training program just like with dei you can't train dei you can't really train psychological safety you can you know practice things you can make people aware of them but you can't sit down in a workshop and say this is how you do psychological safety because it's different for everybody just like learning cultures yeah it's awareness building for those kind of topics isn't it yeah and that, yeah as far as you can really get with it but yeah and then again practicing what you 
preach, not just talking about it. But if you're a manager, if you're a leader, is actually enabling these behaviors in a way that that, that turn them from an abstract concept into a reality within your business. Yeah. And yeah, it's like that kind of going back to the learning culture is that it's not saying, oh, you should do this because it's a fad or because we think it's important. But if they realize that if you create a learning culture, if you create a psychologically safe environment to do that, then your team's going to stay look closer together. Your team's going to stay longer together. Your team is going to be more motivated to do the things that you've asked them to do. So there, there are clear metrics about why psychological safety and uh, a learning culture is important. But it's, it's getting that message kind of, again, like you said, that marketing and promotional side of things is, I would say, even more important these days than the traditional skills yeah brilliant let's pull it back to learning and development a little bit as in the the kind of the the teams that we operate in what are the risks of rolling out different learning initiatives if the culture isn't where it needs to be or isn't quite right i think this is something a lot of people struggle with they will do a lot of work to maybe launch a program or something like that and it's not adopted for whatever reason and maybe culture gets blamed and it maybe is that the right thing to blame i, I don't know I'd, uh, I'd love your thoughts on that yeah it's let me think so i think that the way where i would align them is that you moving away from a list of training to say this is all the training that we do off you go is to create a story to say if you want to be in leadership or if you just want to create a, a good team because you want to hit your targets and all that kind of stuff, then our responsibility is then to say, well, not just take this training, that training, that training, that training, that training, is to almost give them a journey to say, well, you start here and then let's say for the first month or two months kind of thing, Maybe you're taking particular training, but we want you to practice these elements. And then over time, you build up a, an understanding that it is a journey that you're going on, not just like a, an, a robot that you download information in every couple of years or every couple of months or so. And I think what happens is that if that story of that thread of this is what it means to be team management or whatever it is is not there then people tend to think i don't get it oh i didn't i missed that and it's just then becomes very transactional of kind of like you want me to do this so i'm doing it but i wouldn't say people blame the culture because there isn't a culture to blame but i think that if people are leaving they'll usually blame training and usually what's happened is, whereas the training team traditionally might say, but we've got all this training, they've got all this availability, you know, they should be happy. It's like, no, but it's not about how much training you've got, but it's about the story and about how much they are part of it. The one thing I always talk about is when people say they're not engaged, you hear this kind of like, I'm leaving because I'm not engaged or I don't belong. What they mean is, I'm not being listened to. They're leaving because in their head, at least, they want a career, they want to go here, they want to go there, and they just want to be listened to, to be able to say, yeah, 
go for it. We'll help you, but go for it. And I think that's there's for me that's their disconnect. Don't know if that made any sense. No, it does. <laughs> it, it leads really nicely into my next question as well, which is how can we as learning teams, learning and development people in different teams, like what what can we do to support and enable learning culture? And I think you've touched on a couple of things there, like storytelling. Brilliant. Like what stories do we create around it? Well, you mentioned the first bit is practice what we preach. Yes. Okay, that's a good. We one. <laughs> need to create our own learning culture. Like hand on heart, can I say that I've created, I've been part of a learning culture myself in terms of our own team? Not every time. So it's that kind of doing that bit first. Once you've got to the point where you're kind of, you know, you, you feel that you've got a good psychologically safe environment. You feel that everybody's got their own PDPs and their own journey and they're, they're going towards them and they're sharing their ideas with everybody. And it feels like a good development because, I mean, let's, not, let's be honest, the last people that get developed in a company are the people, are the trainers. Yeah. We are usually the last because we're like always thinking of others, never thinking of ourselves. So that needs to change because, like you said, we need to also develop skills, storytelling, marketing, promotion, production, whether it be video, audio, articulate, whatever it is, learning how to make our own content. And I think that storytelling is not just, oh, I need to do a better, be a better presenter. It's about blended learning. It's about hybrid learning. It's about how do I tell a story through content to get people from where they are now to where they want to be, not where I want them to be. For example, things like when I do training, I never talk about objectives ever. I hate them because that's very egotistical for me to say, my objectives for this training are to help you understand this, this, and this. Who am I to tell you what you need to understand? I'm not you. I don't know what you understand or not. All I can do is say in this training, I'll cover these topics. And then I like to do like what they call a, a synthesis at the end to say, well, what did you learn? What were your key takeaways? And then the sharing bit, what are you going to do about them? What is your next steps? What are your actions? It becomes much more personal. And then once you've got that environment, yes, there is the management. You've got to get past that hurdle of saying, well, we're not going to be running a training, traditional training anymore. And then maybe go, well, hang on a minute. Why are we paying you all the big bucks for this? So there's that challenge you have to have. But for me to get past that is you've got to find your, there is always going to be those people that get you, whether they're individual contributors within the team, that they're always the ones first to like your posts or the ones replying to your posts or the first ones to sign up to any training. It's always people in the, in the company like that, whether it be individual contributors, managers, whatever it is. Find those people. And, and find out what makes them tick. Why are they like the way they're liking? What do they do? And then by sharing those ideas, it's then not coming from us. It's coming from the people that are, are doing it. And, and like I said at the start, you do need that management buy-in to, to do a learning culture. But it's not a cost thing. So it's not like a management is, oh, I'm going to have to pay half a million dollars for this learning culture, like a new LXP platform. I was about to say, despite what, what the LXPs might tell you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They enable, yeah, it, they enable it. But one of the things I always talk about learning tech is that you need to do it yourself 
manually. And then all tech does is scale or automate. It's the only two things it should do. It cannot build the culture for you. You're absolutely right. It's the most biggest misconception. It's like, we want a learning culture right by the LXP. It's all shiny. It's all lovely. Now, all that would do is it would cause more confusion because they're looking for a list of training and you're providing recommendations. I'm like, what's that? So maybe along the way, at some point, there's a nice shiny new LXP. But you need to create that mindset, that shift, that psychological safety. That doesn't need a platform. That just needs an understanding and an awareness. Yeah, I think you hit a point with in any business where you need a technology to come in and, like you say, scale and automate. Because invariably what you're doing, you're probably doing it with quite a small team and you're probably looking after quite a lot of people. But you're 100% spot on. You shouldn't be doing it until that need is really apparent. It's almost like a startup. It's like you've got to act like you're a little startup. You don't have all the big budgets and you're just doing it manually. And for me, the business case is to say, look, I'm doing this. It's getting these great results. And again, I'm not talking about KPIs going through the roof or something. Maybe it's engagement scores, whatever it is. But like it's going well and I'm doing all this manually. It's taken up all my time. If we automated this, it's going to save up my time. It's going to save up employees' time. It will then scale across the, the, the business, and then we can add on to it. So it's kind of thinking, how do I do this small-scale pilots, whatever you want to call it, but how do I make it work without any tech? If anything, it's actually easy without the tech because it's just you getting your hands dirty and getting involved. And then think about the tech afterwards. Yeah, because it's normally a big commitment as well, isn't it? You're normally looking at multi-year. That's the biggest thing. The rest of it. And, and also just the setting yeah. up can take months. So versus just getting. I mean, I was talking with. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I was talking with, you know, mentioned about mentoring other, other learning people. I was talking with one person that they were told they need to get an LMS by their management. And that's the usual story. And you're like, why? It's like, uh, I was told they, they want an LMS. All right. And I said to them, well, in my last company, it took me five years to go from concept to rollout. And that's research that's going to things like learning technologies in Excel. That's doing all of the, the recommendations and all of the requirements business. So you've got to go to every division and say, what are you doing now in learning? Where do you want to be in the future? Uh, then doing all the demos and getting rid of all those idiots that try and sell you something that really isn't what they say it is. That whole process took me, yeah, probably three years. And then it was once this, the actual contract was signed, it was a six-month implementation. And then it was a six-month program of communication until a rollout. So just the rollout took a year. Wow. Yeah. No, they're big, big undergoing and, and all, you know, high risk as well. So you, you, you're right to put the oh, work yeah. in beforehand. You're talking millions over years. And that's, you know, that's a big, especially for a small company or even a big company that hasn't had something like that before. You're going from a learning company, a learning division that's maybe spending tens of thousands a year to a learning company that's now asking for hundreds of thousands a year. That's a big, big difference. Big time. I wanted to pull back to one of the other points you made a second ago and, and talk about the marketing thing a bit because one of the interesting things I've sort of discovered recently, or not discovered recently, or just had more conversations about is actually touch points in learning. 
So your job in learning and development has massively evolved, like you say, from taking orders for training courses or delivering training day to day to actually how do we influence people to pick up training and how do we get our message across versus the hundreds of other messages they're getting every day. And so it's a, you know, it's a marketing role almost. It's a promotional, yeah. yeah. It's copywriting. It's it's yeah. utilizing technology because you might be running things on Teams, on Yammer. You might be doing live online. There's all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And like for me, you know, I'm, I'm quite honest. I cheat. I use chat GDP for a lot of the things. And you know, it's like kind of, so you've got to, but you've got to know you know, what's out there and what you can generate and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's a different time spent. And I think you know, going back to your, you know, kind of the, the original, what you're saying about the your uh, podcast in terms of frontline staff is that's even harder when you're talking about mindsets and, and promotions and marketing. Because if you're promoting to, let's say, a call center when everybody's on their computer, that is relatively easy because everybody's in front of a computer. You can send out one announcement and boom, it's done. It's in front of you. Whereas if they're all in warehouses or if they're delivery staff or they're you know, on the road all the time, like how the hell do you get that message out to change it and stuff? So that's a whole, I, it pans on heart. I don't have experience with that kind of thing, but my hats go off to people. They have to start thinking about that way of doing things. Yeah, that's what we're tackling in a lot of this in a lot of the series, actually. And it's been we've had a couple of really interesting conversations it's already. Fascinating. Yeah, it's yeah. it is, and it's it's like how do you marry up that physical and digital, especially when maybe they don't have access to a company device and stuff like that. That is the real challenge. Because it's almost you've got that perfect uh, like kind of dichotomy of yes, it's very easy to do the traditional learning where you say right, everybody off the shop floor, everybody <laughs> into the training, dun 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 dun. Now get the hell out of here and go back to work. That's great, but a one and done is never going to solve anything, let alone a learning culture. So the added technology of phones and you know, kind of push messages and all these kind of things, and also the change of mindset to say this is now your journey, you're actually freeing up more of your time. It's If that driver or that factory worker or that warehouse worker, whatever it is, is driving their own journey of their own development and organizing their own time and, I don't know, listening to a podcast while they're working, obviously not in a, you know, in a safe yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Driving is a good yeah, example but, of that because people listen to the yeah. radio and podcasts all the time while they're driving. Yeah, so I don't listen to the radio ever you know. <laughs> now. It's all, all podcasts. podcasts. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd say I'm 70% podcast and I, I run a podcast business. <laughs> still well, a yeah. bit well, yeah, when I say all podcasts, I've got a five-year-old, so we listen to Ariel. Got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's that. So people say, you know, does learning cultures work for everybody? How hard is it? It is hard. In some areas, it's harder than it, than others. But I have yet to see a, an environment where it doesn't fit and, if anything, doesn't improve the situation. Yeah, and it feeds into like, – we're talking about learning culture specifically, but we, we're not just turning, talking about learning culture, are we? Because we're actually talking about the culture of an entire organization or a team. Because, uh, you know, how open and safe and – Yeah, psychological safety is a company-wide thing. It's not, oh, that's learning. No, that's you could almost call it a value yeah, for exactly. a company. It's a value, and it, and it feeds into 
staff retention, as you mentioned, it feeds into happiness, it feeds into wanting to do more for your organization and going the extra mile and pushing yourself a bit further and all the rest of it. So it's um, and then you go down the, the the well-being piece of psychological safety, you know, hopefully avoids things like burnouts, which cost companies millions each year. The benefits are way outweighing, but it's just I think one of the, the challenges is is that for any company you can't just go, right, stop everybody. Everybody stop, put your pens down, put your everybody top of your computer. Right, we're going to reset. We're now going to be X culture, a learning culture. This is the way we're going to do it. Doesn't, you, it doesn't work like that. So you've got all these learning divisions rolling out all this training. And it's like at some point, when do you then go, well, how do you then create this new mindset while we're existingly rolling out all this traditional training it's it's a really hard thing to do. So I'm not saying it's easy by any stretch of the imagination, but going back to those kind of skills that learning teams need, it's not a skill, but it's time. Giving yourself that space to go, well, not just what is our 2024 budget going to look like? What training are we rolling out? Is to go back one step and go, well, what what do we want? What's the, the company's mission and vision? How are we achieving that vision by just doing training every now and again can we do something different and then giving yourself the the time and just allowing yourself that time so not beating yourself up by not dedicating 300 hours to training to go well let's just spend a couple of hours a week just brainstorming thinking about well what could it be different what what could a learning culture in this company look like and there's plenty of resources out there there's templates you can find that get you started and it's but it's giving yourself the time to think about it and think what would it look like for us is the critical piece take a step back to take two steps forward type thing yeah i wanted to ask you before we wrap up because we're coming up to time but about one particular stage of the employee life cycle where it's often training heavy and that is that's onboarding so you start in a new role, you've got a lot to learn. There's also an opportunity there, isn't there, to, as a company- Oh, it's the best opportunity. Yeah, to make a great impression. So how do you recommend people use onboarding in a positive way? So typically, I say typically, because I can't talk for every company, but the, the pressure on onboarding is get that person up and running as quickly as possible. Because the time to fall whatever, you know, kind of full working capability is the, <laughs> yeah. thank you. Yeah. Is the quicker you do it, the the easier it's going to be, the more money we make, et cetera, et cetera. So because of that pressure, then learning divisions then focus on like, hey everybody, welcome to the company. Here's this, here's this, here's the toilets. Right. Do this, do this, this is how you learn how to do this, this is how you learn how to do that. This is and then boom, 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 boom. And then it's like you kind of you basically just open up you know, gobble up all that, that knowledge and then kind of throw them out. I think where the opportunity is, is for me at least, is to put yourself in the position of a new starter. You're, you've taken a big risk. Maybe you're you know, uh, brand new to the workforce. Maybe you've been going for 10 years. You're a brand new company. You're, pardon my language, you're shit scared. You're not sure, is this the right job for me? Is this the right company? Is this the right manager? Is this the right colleagues? Oh my God, what do I do? All these questions. And then when we start bombarding them with extra stuff, it doesn't help. 
So what I at least try and do with the onboarding is start off with that you are here in a safe place. Now, it's not to say that welcome to Robinson, we're now going to talk about psychological safety, but it's to imply those kind of things in everything we do. So we try and bring them in to a, an environment and we try and talk about them being in a place where they can feel safe, that they can ask questions, that they can not necessarily take it easy because there is still that pressure to kind of let's get on. But there's a reassurance to say, we're going to give you all this training, but we're going to back it up on on podcasts. We're going to back it up on videos. We're going to back it up on handouts and everything's going to be here for you afterwards. And it's almost like telling them, having the permission to tell them, I know you're not going to learn all this. I don't expect you to learn on this. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some key pointers, some key information, and then I'm going to let that you know, absorb it. You're going to ask me questions and then we'll move on. But at every stage of the time, I want you to ask me questions. I want you to ask each other questions. I'm going to give you an environment like a, a Teams chat where you can talk to each other and you can send any question you want whenever you want and ask and I'll automatically reply to it. So that that's that kind of reassurance that, that I've got you by the hand and I'm just walking you through it. And we talk about right at the start, we talk about how we feel well-being is important. We talk about us having our uh, employee assistance program. We talk about our values because, yeah, you know, saying this is what our values. But we also talk about the values of learning. So we do a session on curiosity and what it means to be curious. We do a session on self-awareness. We do a session on not necessarily your PDP, but your why. We do a session on kind of, are you, not saying are you in the right place, but what is your development goal? And then how can your manager, your new manager, help you to achieve those things? Whereas maybe a lot of companies go, oh, no, no, we don't want to talk about PDPs until they're in their job. It's like, well, no, you, your development starts from the day you, from the day you start. So it's that reassurance to, to kind of start off with. I think it's the, the ability to know where to find information, not that they have to keep on absorbing it over and over, they have to pay attention, but to know, I'm going to give you this stuff. I'm going to keep it as absolute basic as possible because how easy it is for us to think, are oh, we just going to throw everything at them and something's going to stick? And I've done that number of times with companies, my company here and other companies. They go, oh, yeah, they need this, 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 and this, and this. And I'll be like, okay. What do they really need on day one that there's the minimum viable product, going back to Agile and Lean and stuff? What's your minimal viable product for them to do? And they're, well, okay, in the first couple of days, at the very least, they can get this right. Right, okay, I'm going to focus on that. And they'll learn as they go along because, yeah, they'll sit next to people and they'll mentor people and stuff and they'll learn it. But the basics I want them to learn, I'll focus on this. And then you allow them to build up over time. But for me, the it's that focusing your time as a learner on that reassurance piece, minimal viable product, making sure that you're giving them the minimum stuff and not overloading them. And then making sure they know where they can go to find the information. So not like you know, was the saying, you can give a person a fish or you can teach them to fish. So you kind of, you teach them 
to search and to find information rather than just give it to them. And then it's then that long tail to say, we're with you the whole step of the way. And we've got all these areas where you can ask questions and you can feel safe to come to us. But like I said, I'm nowhere near an expert. I would never class myself as an onboarding expert. I think there are people out there that have got far better experience than, than I have. And I'm not saying that that kind of experience is perfect. But is for me, it's like if you can start including little aspects of this that fit to your environment, then for me, it's the, the all the better. Sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've always worked for small companies or startups. And so my onboarding experiences have always been just start working over there and uh, yeah. <laughs> ask questions yeah, as you you'll go. Learn it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Or if you don't know the answer, then create an answer because we, we haven't thought of one yet either. <laughs> yeah. So, no, um, and I think, you know, the, I think that one of the biggest things that I think most, a lot of companies do is assign somebody. It sounds very simple. But get one of your people that, again, is maybe part of their development plan that likes to support others. Maybe they're, you found that they're, they're the giving kind of person. Identify that person. Give them some support in terms of how to facilitate, how to mentor. There are free training that you can get on that. And, and say, right, your stretch assignment is to look after, people call them ambassadors, buddies, whatever you want to call it. Say, so, right, your job is to support that person. I'm L&D. I'm still going to be, I'm not going to back away, but I want you to be their contact person. But give them the support to do that. Don't just go, yeah, right, you go and speak to, it's like, no, I'm going to give you storytelling. I'm going to give you facilitation training. I'm going to give you mentoring training to be able to be the best that you can be at that. Yeah, no, I like that. I think that's really important as well, especially in larger organizations, just to literally help people navigate, you know, who do I talk to about this? Where do I, you know, it's this stupid little things that if someone, you know, someone is there to answer those questions for you that in invariably come up. It's um, so reassuring. Yeah, it's just reassuring, isn't it? And it's an, it's another kind of tick. If you're going into a new role going, okay, well, this, this company really, this company really cares because they've cares, put yeah. a lot of effort into these first few weeks for me. So that, I'm already on the front foot and I feel very positive about my new employer. I mean, the thing you need to be careful about is then if you've only got one person as that person, that new person's point of cure, and that person is not an ambassador for the company, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I've had in the past <laughs> where I've had like, when I've joined a company and that person is like, what the hell are you doing here? This is a horrible company. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So you've got to be careful. Not necessarily who you pick, but you're supporting because that's usually what happens. You just throw somebody. So as long as you're supporting them and making sure that they are that positive influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because yeah, I guess it can swing the other way quite sharply. Fantastic. Toby, uh, we're, we're pretty much out of time, but I wanted to ask, finally, you know, you, you do speaking, you do all sorts of stuff like this as well. Where can people connect with you or find out a bit more about you? Well, so my acronym, aka alternative ego, evil side, whatever you want to call it, is uh, the never-ending learner. So that's my kind of thing on LinkedIn. I've attempted to have my website. Yeah, I've got my, I've done, if you want a good laugh, you can watch some of my YouTube videos <laughs> on we'll there. make sure we put a link to your website and LinkedIn in the show <laughs> notes for everyone. <laughs> but there's my, my TED Talks on there, or TEDx Talks, sorry. And also there's like my background of like how I prepare for the TED Talk and those kind of things so people are interested in you know not just the ted talk but all, you know what's the back end of it i've done some talks on on that kind of stuff so yeah 
it's kind of main main word to catch me fantastic cool toby we really appreciate your time and you sharing your expertise and experience with us this has been a really fascinating conversation and i'm sure a lot of our learning and development audience will will agree and will have taken a lot from this so my pleasure for joining all right thanks everybody we'll be back very soon with a, another episode from the learning and development challenges series two we look forward to having you join us for that Oh,